Well, the, this morning, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 6. I would like you to, to look at verse 15. I'm going to read verses 15 through 23 this morning, probably a familiar passage to most people, uh, but uh, I'm going to get to why I'm here today in this passage. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? May it never be. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? But thanks be to God that through that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness." I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now being freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. Let us pray for a moment. Father, I just thank you that you sent your son Yeshua. I just thank you that he paid the price, the awful price for me in his death and for the world. I thank you, Father, that he rose again and that he was among his disciples for a time. And then he ascended to the heavenlies with you and he sits on your right hand. Our Mashiach, our Savior. I thank you that not only did that happen, but he sent the Ruach HaKodesh to live and dwell within us that the Holy Spirit might convict us of sin, righteousness, and the devil, that we might live in this sanctification, in this life of being set apart to be holy before you. We commit ourselves to you right now. We are sitting at your feet, Yeshua. Ruach Kodesh, help us to understand what needs to be understood for us, for us personally, each one of us today, that we might take away at least one thing to help us in our journey, in our walk with you. Keep our minds clear Take all those things that would take us away and thinking about other things to think about you and what you would have for us this morning. In Yeshua's name, amen. I try to have a devotional every day. Sometimes I miss, and because I'm the boss, I can go in and I can take five minutes in my office. Sometimes I do. I get there early. I can do that. But of late, I've been pretty consistent, I have to say. Not to boast. Please don't. I don't want to, because I'll fall. You put me, I'll fall. But uh, I have been, I read a psalm and a proverb every day. I go through all the psalms and I do the proverbs, 1 through 31. You can do whatever day it is. Today's the 22nd, so today I will read the 22nd proverb. I like the proverbs because it gives you wisdom, it gives you understanding and knowledge, and psalms speaks to the heart and the life and things. And then I do the Brichar Shah, and I pick, a, pick a, a book, whatever it might be, and I happen to be in Romans. And for about five or six or seven or eight weeks, I can't remember... I've been meditating on this passage. Why? 
Why did God keep on bringing, because I usually go on, I do two or three verses, or I do four verses, or I do you know, a block like that, and I think about it, and I pray about it, and say, God, how does that apply to me? To say the least, Romans is an interesting portion of Scripture. Some have said it's the theology of the Brichadashah, you know, the theology book. Uh, of course, Rabbi Saul, Rabbi Paul, he was just a great theologian. He understood the Tanakh. He understood uh, everything about who God was, and he brought it together for us in a lot of the, the Brichadashah. I kept on going back and said, what does it mean to me personally today? Lord, do I have a besetting sin? Is there something in my life that I have not, you know, that I have not confessed? Show me. I don't want to, I don't want to walk, you know, with this, uh, with this in my life. And, uh, I've been praying for my own children. I pray for, I have three children, Katie, Alex, and Daniel. Two live in New York and Brooklyn and one lives here. I miss them. But I, you know, they were brought in, uh, they were brought up as I was a congregational leader in the congregations where, where I led. And, uh, you know, they know the Lord and all that, but sometimes I wonder, where are they? So I pray for them. And I'm not saying they're straight or all that. Don't get that wrong. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But I pray for them every day, and I pray several things. One of the things I pray is that they would have a short account between God and themselves, and they would have short accounts between themselves and other people, and that they would walk in sanctification, that they would walk in holiness before God, that God would draw them to himself, that they might walk in that life, that people around them would know what they believe. Not only do I pray for my own children, but I pray for the children of this congregation. You see, I get on 670 in the morning, and we've heard Henry talk about 670 going, and these, we, you know, these people come in front of you, and you call them idiots, and you get off your sanctification right away, right? So what I do is I pray so I won't do that because I have the tendency to get angry at these people that don't know how to drive. So I pray, and, and, and I have about a 20-minute ride or so, and uh, I pray for the children, and I pray for the families. I pray for the, the mothers and the fathers that are raising these children today by name as I can remember them. And I ask that God would, they would have a short account between God and themselves and themselves and other people. I ask that God would give them wisdom and understanding and knowledge and discernment, that they would raise these children up in the admonition of him, I've been praying for each young family as their children go back to school that God would keep them from sin and sin from them and that God would give each person, each parent wisdom to know how to help their children as they are facing things that I never faced and I'm of the hippie generation, you know. And we had some things that happened back in the day, but today it's a little bit different. You know, and I know Rabbi said that, you know, the, the end times aren't here. They are, but every, every generation is eminent. And I think God put that out in front of us on purpose so that we would have that relationship with him and we'd be aware, we'd be on our toes and be ready. I have to ask you the question, are you praying for the children of this congregation as well? Are you praying for your own children, parents? Children, are you praying for your parents that they would have wisdom to help you? I see the young people back there. Are you praying for your parents that they would have wisdom? It could be a two-way street. Are you being honest with them, some things you don't understand? Maybe there's things in your life that are happening and you see this quote-unquote sin all around you. How do you deal with it? You're just inundated with it. It's just like you're in the ocean and this big wave comes and takes you and slaps you down. What are you going to do? You are to be people of the book. That's what we are. We are to be people of this book. We are to understand what God wants, who he is. So as I was looking at this passage of Scripture over these past weeks, I realized that the main issue here is regarding sin, 
regarding the law, justification, and most of all, sanctification. Now, I know rabbis talked about sanctification because I've been here. I've heard them. I've talked about sanctification. What is sanctification? That means being set apart for God. What did God want with his people when he, when he called Abraham out and he was the father of many nations, the father of the Israel? What did he want from Jacob and Isaac and David and all the rest and the prophets and all the people of Israel? He wanted them to be set apart from the nation so that they might know who he is and they in turn can get together with those people who know God and understand and have that relationship with the creator of the creation. If we look at Romans, we look at chapter 3 through chapter 5, we see the following. We see substitution. He died for me. He died unto sin. He broke the power of sin. You see, we know about the sacrificial system. We know all about that. That just covered the sin. But he died for my sins. He paid sin's penalty. It's called justification. Righteousness of God imputed or given or put to my account. That's a legal word, and I know you know that, most of you. You've heard that before. He saved, we are saved, we are delivered by his death. But if we look at Romans 6 through 8, we see the following. We see identification. I died in him. He died unto sin. He broke the power of sin. I died with him. Then we have sanctification, and that's righteousness or holiness imputed or put into my life as a part of me. So in 3 through 5, we are saved by his death, we are delivered by his death, and now we are saved by his life. And we can walk that walk with him. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. There's not one person in this room and one person hearing my voice is perfect. I guarantee it. But we try and we get up like that child when they're first learning to walk. They crawl, they get up, they fall, they get up, they fall, they get up and they walk and they go on. And we are on and on and on. We are inundated with the enemy of our souls. He does not like us. And he will put things in your mind and things in my mind and our minds that are not honoring to God. You know, I almost didn't preach this sermon today. I was hit. I was, I, all of a sudden, yesterday, I'm sitting in my office. And I'm working. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And I just get this overwhelming sense of dread. Where did that come from? I was having a great day. Nothing was going on. I know where it came from. And I had to get this together because, you know, Shabbat is coming, Rush. Shabbat is coming. I knew two weeks ago. Started good plans and good people, right? Started, get going. Working on it, working on it, reading it, trying to understand it. This passage of Scripture, in other words, is justification by faith is simply not a legal matter between me and God, and that's it, that's done. It has with it, I think, a living relationship. It is a justification which brings life. And that could be a literal translation of Romans 5.18. Therefore, I am in Messiah, and I am identified with Him, so that whatever I happen, whatever happened to Messiah has happened to me as a believer in him. When he died, I died. When he arose, I arose in him. I am now seated with him in the heavenlies. Yes, I'm here. I understand that. But when it comes down to it in the end, when he comes back, that will all be happening. We are his children. We are his sheep. In Colossians uh, chapter, uh, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 2, and I won't read it there, but we have that we are alive in Messiah. One through three talks about our old condition, the old nature, the sin nature. Scripture says 
All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. There's none righteous, no, not one. It talks about the fact that we were dead to God. But then Paul goes on in verses uh, 4 through 10, talking about the fact that we are alive to God. Verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even though we were dead in our transgressions, He made us alive together with Messiah. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Messiah Yeshua. In order that the ages to come, He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness toward us who are in Messiah Yeshua. For by grace you've been saved through faith. We know this, right? And that not of ourselves, it is a gift of God, not a result of works that no one should boast. For we, we are His workmanship created in Messiah Yeshua for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, because we have this union, this living union with the Messiah, the believer has a totally new relationship to sin. The believer is dead to sin, verses 2 through 5 of, the, of chapter 6. And in verses 6 through 10, the believer should not serve sin. Verse 11 and following, the believer is reckoned righteous. When we come to verses 12 through 23, I see that Rebbe Saul is telling us to yield. You see, we have to understand that sin is not stopped by an opposing force in the life of the believer just because Yeshua's life, Yeshua's life paid the price for sin. Look at verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust. It's interesting, in your mortal body, what does our body have to do with it? I've been thinking about that and thinking about that. That's where we live. That's who we are. We have a body. We have a soul. We have a spirit. And do not go on presenting, verse 13, the members of your body. What members is he talking about? I think he's talking about the mind. I think he's talking about the eyes. I think he's talking the mouth and the tongue, the hands, the feet, as instruments of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as though alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. The word yield is found five times in the section. And it's, in, in our English translations, it could say yield, but it might be, say, presenting. It's in verse 13, verse 16, and verse 19. The Greek word that the Rebbe uses is parasanete. The word means to yield, to present, para, stime, alongside, to put. Histime means to put. So it's together, para, histime, means to put something alongside or present something. And it's interesting that it is a verb that is in the present imperative, continuing, continuative. It's an action. So that stop, do not let, keep on, do not let. It's an imperative. You are not to let sin reign. It's a command. Stop doing that. Literally, do not continue to put your body parts at the disposal of sin, your mind, your mouth, your eyes, your ears, as weapons of wickedness. Stop doing this instead. Right now, stop it completely and decisively. Put yourselves at God's disposal. Offer yourselves to Him. You see, when we walk with God and we have devotion to Him and we are consecrated to God, it is a personal thing and we need to do it wholeheartedly. God in His great love and kindness not only brought those who accept Yeshua out of, de out of death to life, but in a relationship with Him. We must understand that it is an act of the will, so we have to say, yes, I'm going to do that, and it's based upon the knowledge that I have that we have a Messiah and what He has done for us. 
It's an intelligent act, not an impulsive decision just because you feel it at the moment based on that emotional stirring. And that is okay, but as long as it is an act that you're saying, yes, I'm going to do it. So again, we can say it this way, literally, do not constantly allow sin to reign in your mortal body so that you are constantly obeying its lusts. Neither constantly yield your members of your body as weapons or tools of unrighteousness to sin, but once and for all, yield yourselves to God. How do we surrender? Well, you've heard this quoted, Romans 12, 1, and it's the same verb. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to what? What does it say? To present. That's the same word in that same tense. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. That verse responds with 13 in Romans 6. There must be, a, must be in the believer's life a complete surrender of the body, the mind, and the spirit to Yeshua the Messiah. I know you know that. That does not mean that there will be no further steps of surrender. That doesn't mean you just do it once and that's it. No, it's a surrender because there will be times when you have to surrender. There will be times when you have to say, God, I blew it. Help me. God, forgive me. You see, the longer we walk with this Lord, this God, and have this wonderful relationship with our Messiah, there should be a deeper fellowship. That fellowship must become deeper and deeper and deeper as we walk. There can be no subsequent steps without the first one. We must first surrender to him completely, everything. Our bodies are the temple of the living God, as it tells us in 1 Corinthians and Philippians. God wants to use us, wants to use us to build his kingdom. We need to be clean vessels for his use. Most of you know, and I've shared this before, you know, I've had open heart surgery and all that stuff. And I got to thinking about the sin and the blockage, you know, and how that relates. And, you know, I didn't realize, I know I had some blockage and they put stents in to open it up, right? So the more blockage, the less blood gets through, right? And you who are nurses and medical people know that if you don't have blood for your heart, you can't live, you die. Because there's the blockage there, right? The blood needs to go through, the blood needs to go through and back and forth and all that. And it's the same thing with our relationship with God. We need to get rid of that blockage. We need to yield ourselves to him. We need to say, God, is there something in my life? You might not like it. You might not like what God's going to do. He may do some things in your life. He's going to, um, to punish you in a sense. He's going to you know, say, look, you shouldn't be doing this. You should be walking in holiness and righteousness before you. Now, you know what? where the battle is? We all know the battle is in the mind, isn't it? It's in the mind. So if you know Scripture and you're in the Scriptures, you have that relationship with God and you're walking with Him, you can say, God, help me with that. That's coming into my mind, like that dread that came upon me. I knew that wasn't from God. I knew that there was nothing going on in my, you know, my life in that sense. But the enemy did not want me to say this today because there might be someone here who needs to hear this. Me. <laughs> so we need to get rid of the blockage. So what they do to me, they, they, they took and gave me a bypass and now I have great heart and all that other stuff and you know God is great and good he, he healed me in that sense in that way and I appreciate that our bodies are important because if you look at scripture you see that you know why, why did Paul mention the body well God used Moses hand and the rod in his hand God used David's sling in his hand God used the mouths and the tongues of prophet to speak forth his word and Rebbe Paul here Saul's feet God used his feet to bring the good news of the gospel to both the Jew and the Gentile. God used uh, the Apostle Yochanan's eyes to see visions and hear messages from God, and his fingers wrote it down for us to see and read. 
However, there are other accounts of Scripture where members of the body uh, were being used for sinful purposes, and we know the well-known one is, is David, right? <laughs> David's eyes looked on his neighbor's wife and lusted after her. His mind plotted a wicked scheme, and his hand signed a cowardly order to save the woman, to, to have the woman's uh, husband killed. And if you read Psalm 51, you see it there, verse 3, his eyes, his mind, verse 8, his ears, his heart, verse 10, his lips and mouth, verses 14 and 15. He needed a thorough cleansing. That's what he says. Cleanse me, Lord, from all my sin. Not only do we have to understand that sin has, has not stopped being an, an opposing force in our life just because we are positionally in Messiah Yeshua and the heavenlies and all that, but we need to understand that we yield to God because of his favor, his freedom, and the fruit that can be in our lives. It is because of God's grace that we yield ourselves to him. And in that, I believe, we find a favor. In the previous verses of what Paul wrote, he proved that we are saved by God's grace and not law. Now, I think the law is great. It's perfect. The law and the Torah is our schoolmaster to teach us that we fall short of the glory of God and that we are sinful, that we fall short of that glory. So I want to ask you this morning, and if you want to, you can write down, write this down. What is the definition of sin? What is the definition of sin? Is it drinking alcohol and getting drunk? Is it doing drugs? It is swearing? Is it adultery? Is it sexual promiscuity? Is it pornography? What is sin? How would you define sin? Those are the things that sin does, right? Those are the outcomes of sin. The Greek word is hamatia, and uh, it means missing the mark, right? We know that. If you study with Henry, you should. Greek, hamatia means to, to miss the mark. So you have a bullseye, and you have a bow and arrow, and you take that bow and arrow, and you take it back, and you want to hit that little bullseye right in the middle. Well, if you, if you miss it, you miss the mark, right? Okay, that's all right. Intellectually, that's okay. I understand that. But for me, practically, how do, what does that mean? I heard a long time ago someone who made it, had a definition of sin, um, and it stuck with me through the years. I'm not even sure where I got it, but it works for me. For me, sin is an act of rebellion or a passive indifference against God and his laws. Sin is an act of rebellion or a passive indifference against God and his laws. I think that makes sense for me. I'm not sure about you. You see, because we know that the law does not save, yes, but the law points to sin. So if we have an act of rebellion or a passive indifference to God and his laws, then we have sinned. We've missed the mark. I have personally known and know of people who are very legalistic. And, and of course, it's, it's in the Christian, well, it's in all communities, but my personal people I know are in some Christian communities. And they had a list of rules and laws and a lot of do's and a lot of don'ts, and I won't go there. But most of those legalistic people end up, in my opinion, very judgmental of anyone who does not do exactly like them. They are the extreme. They are sad to say that these churches and these denominations are dying. They're becoming extinct because of the legalism they profess, not because of the grace or because they are following a set of rules or regulations in order for believers to follow Messiah. There's no real living. There's no real spiritual life. It's just a bunch of rules, just a bunch of regulations that you follow. It is by grace that we are saved, not of works, lest anyone should boast, as it tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 56. So we are not under the law, but under grace. So therefore, if we are under grace, sin is robbed of its strength. Bottom line is about a relationship with the living God through his Son. 
If we are yielded to, yielded to him, then we have the day by day by day relationship with him and we find favor. And when we find favor with him, then it leads to finding freedom. It is because of God's grace that we yield ourselves to him in that we find freedom. Interesting that Rabbi Saul uses here the illustration of a master and a slave. Before we were saved, we were slaves to sin. That's all we could do. We might have been nice people, but we were slaves to that sin. Now that we belong to Messiah, we are freed from the old slavery and made a servant of Messiah. So we've changed masters, the master of sin, to the master Messiah, Yeshua. Freedom for the believer never means laziness. It always means opportunity to rendering, to providing, to giving, to delivering, to submitting, to making available our service to him. It is because of God's grace that we yield ourselves to him and now have righteousness, now have sanctification, being set apart for him and him alone. Being set apart from him means that we are holy and we are to act holy. What is on the inside should reflect what's on the outside. Act like who we are, Messiah. And believe me, it's hard sometimes. It is a lifelong process, a walk with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords daily. The unredeemed person is free, free from righteousness, as it tells us in Romans 6.20. The unredeemed person is in bondage to sin, which leads, only leads to deeper and deeper slavery so that it becomes more difficult to do what is right. Interestingly, we, ha interestingly, we have a, an illustration in the parable of the prodigal son in Luke 15. He was living with his father and decides he wants his freedom. So what does he do? He leaves his home and pursues and finding himself and enjoying himself. However, his rebellion only leads to slavery. You see, he was, a, he was a slave of wrong desires. He was a slave of what he thought was right and good and honest. Then he becomes a slave of wrong deeds and in the end becomes a slave. Slave of pigs, literally. This Jewish young man. When he thought, what he thought was freedom turned out to be the worst kind of slavery. It was only when he returned home and yielded himself to his father that he found true freedom. How many people who start on drugs just to try it and it feels good the first couple of times and then they get hooked on it and they end up ruining their lives and their lives of those around them. Finding favor leads to finding freedom, but that also leads to finding fruit. It is because of God's grace that we yield ourselves to him in that we find fruit. When we serve a master, we expect to receive wages. Sin pays wages, and that wage is death. God pays wages, holiness and righteousness, and ultimately eternal life. In our old life, we produce fruit that made us ashamed. In our new life in Messiah, we produce fruit that glorifies God and brings joy to our lives. We have another biblical example of Samson. We all know the story of him, don't we? He would not yield to God, but yielded to the lust of the flesh and ultimately led to his death. If the believer refuses to surrender his body, his life to the Lord, but uses its members for sinful purpose, then, then he's in danger of being disciplined by the Father, and this could mean death. So what does all this mean, Russ? God does not leave us as orphans so that we are left helpless to fend for ourselves. He has given us Yeshua the Lord, the King, the Messiah, who paid the price, the penalty for sin. In Him we have the victory. You know, when Rebecca and I took a vacation several weeks ago to Bald Knob, West Virginia, we went on that train, the Cass Railroad. You ought to try it sometime. It's really nice. 
And we went to the top of the mountain on once in a blue moon. You know what that is? You know, the moon is full at the beginning of the month and at the end of the month. And so we went up, and that night, the moon was out. It was beautiful. We left at 7 p.m., got in our car, you know, got in the, in the train car, and it was a steam engine and all that, you know, by coal and all that, and it took us up the mountain and did a little switchbacks, and we went up, and the moon is out. You could see it. We could see into Virginia, if you believe that. And so we go up there, and by the time we get up there, it's dark, because it takes a while, because it only goes about five or whatever miles an hour. And here's this beautiful moon. We tried to take pictures, but all you can see is this looks like a, a light in the middle of the black sky. But it was bright. And on the way back, we're sitting in the car going back, and we're thinking about how beautiful it was. So there was about five or 600 of us there, something like that, maybe. And um, I look up, and I see the moon shining on the trees as we're coming down through the woods. And I had this thought. I thought, isn't that great, God? Not only do you give us light during the day, but you give us light at night. And I took it a further in my mind of, God, even in darkness, you give us light. Even in darkness, you give us light. We get the bright light during the day, like today, but at night, even when we're in the dark places of our lives, he gives us light. We can go toward that light and we can see him moving. He gives us light by day. He gives us light by night. He never leaves us in the dark. In conclusion, I would like to say this, but the free gift of God is everlasting life. What a marvelous climax to this portion of scripture. What a comforting truth the sinner has run to God and Messiah for refuge and receives the most from for the least. Life everlasting for nothing. I could say life everlasting, that is fellowship with God in and through Yeshua, Messiah Yeshua, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Yeshua, the love of God poured out into one's heart by the Holy Spirit, the peace of God that transcends all understanding, all this and far more forever and ever. All this is explained in an experience, excuse me, in an intimate relationship and union with the Messiah Yeshua. Beautifully, beautifully, Rebbe Saul closes the chapter with the language of a faith appropriation, our Lord. But still, that is glorious. However, how do I practically serve my Lord and Master Yeshua? Well, I'm glad you asked that question this morning. I would like to close with some practical things that can do what we can do to safeguard and help us to yield our whole being to Him. A few weeks ago, uh, Rabbi Stuart Dowerman gave a drash on the Torah, and it was from Ekev. And he, he says it here that the hardest part of, of Messianic Jewish living, and uh, I think it's very appropriate to end with this application. He said the following, there are terrible consequences to bringing unclean things, unclean imaginings, unclean images, unclean attitudes into the inner sanctum of our minds and hearts, setting them up there as something harmless. They are far from harmless. It is not for nothing that we are told in Scripture. Above all else, guard your heart, for it affects everything you do. Above everything else, guard your heart, for it is a source of life's consequences. This we must do above all else. This is for me, this is Stuart talking, the hardest and most strategic battle of my life. And I suggest the same will be true for all of us. We each harbor within us harmless lusts, harmless attitudes, harmless rages, harmless hatreds, contemptuous thoughts, thinking them harmless unless and until they are translated into action. We must not think this way. Such unclean things are seeds and useless, I'm excuse, seeds, and unless we uproot and expel them, such seeds 
are sure to grow sooner or later into something monstrous, dark, and deadly. And I'm going to add, we become slaves to them. They become our masters, and we their slaves. So, he says this, Therefore, what should we do to guard the inner sanctum of our lives? Number one, recognize unclean, unworthy, toxic thoughts and imaginings for what they are. Number two, repel them, challenge them. Don't be passive, but say and mean, I don't want this in my life. I reject this idea, this imagining, this attitude as a servant of Hashem in Yeshua's name. Three, replace such lies with the truth. As Paul says to the believers in Philippi, focus your thoughts on what is true, noble, righteous, pure, lovable, or admirable, and on some virtue or something praiseworthy. Keep doing what you have learned and received from me, what you have heard and seen me doing. Then the God who gives shalom be with you. Truth is not simply concepts and attitudes here, but also worthy role models. Keep them before you. Walk in their footsteps. Be their disciples. Learn from them. Imitate them. Let worthy lives be the template of your own. Four, remember what the scripture says. More fundamental than everything else is cultivating a regular habit of cleansing your heart, your mind, and imagination with the waters of Scripture. You may think you already know the Bible well enough, but in this, you are wrong. It's like a diabetic saying, I took my insulin last week. Why should I do it now? Bad idea. Such fantasies can kill you. Refill with the Spirit of God. God wants an intimate relationship with us evident in a growing sense of being controlled by the Spirit rather than by other things. It is always a good idea to seek a renewed and filling of the, by the Spirit. Evidence not so much in new gifts as a renewed intimacy with God. As Paul says to the Ephesians, keep on being filled with the Spirit, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to the Lord, and make music in your heart to Him. Always give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah. This sounds to me like a great description of a cleansed and dedicated heart. And finally, six, recommit to obedience. As, you, as Yeshua says elsewhere, if you, if you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Develop the discipline of obedience. Knowing the truth is nice, but never enough. We must do the truth. May it be so. May it be for you and me. May it be so until Yeshua returns. I couldn't have said it better. I'm glad he agrees with me. I hope this morning that you have taken at least one thing and applied it. I hope this morning that you came anticipating that God would speak to you some way, somehow. May you be dedicated to your master, Yeshua, and not the master of the world and the sin. Let's pray. Father, as a song that I've heard before say, we bow our hearts, we bend our knees. O Spirit, come make us humble. We turn our eyes from evil things. O Lord, we cast down our idols. So give us clean hands and give us pure hearts. <clears throat> Let us not lift our souls to another. Oh, give us clean hands and give us pure hearts. And oh God, do not let us lift our souls to another. Oh God, let this be a generation that seeks, who seeks your face, oh God of Jacob. Oh God, let us be a generation that seeks, who seeks your face, oh God of Jacob. Hashiveno Adonai Elacha Menashuvah Chadesh Turn us again, O Lord, to you, and we shall return. Renew our days as of old. Amen.